This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we unjumble an important and sometimes under the radar statewide story that affects you. Michigan has been part of the national movement to end the so-called tampon tax for years now. Lawmakers, usually Democrats and women, have consistently tried for years to pass legislation to get rid of that 6% sales tax that's tacked on to menstrual products. Now, Michigan collects almost $7 million annually in taxes on period supplies alone. And women and period-having individuals across Michigan have been saying for years that these supplies are quite frankly, expensive enough without having that additional tax on a product that is very, very necessary. You know, we don't tax various types of medication and other medical supplies. So why are we taxing these products? So now uh, women in Michigan and their allies, of course, are fighting the tax on two fronts. One is through legislation, and one is by suing the state treasury department. For the legislation, lawmakers, including men, I'll add, sponsored bills in the state House and Senate once again in February of this year. This is after having introduced roughly the same bills the previous year, and by my count, it's at least the third attempt to do this in the legislature. Last year's House bills got a committee hearing, and that was about it. And that's usually all these bills ever get. Now, a group of women have filed a lawsuit against the state treasury on behalf of all women in Michigan, saying the tax is unconstitutional. Essentially, the argument is women are being taxed for something they can't control. Joanne Faye Curry is a lawyer representing the women in the lawsuit. She told the Detroit News, quote, the Constitution is clear. It's a discriminatory tax. For government to impose a burden on a product that women must use, it's a tax on women for being women. So that lawsuit was filed last year, and lawmakers are hoping that this will be the push the legislature needs to take this issue seriously. State Senator Mallory McMurrow, a Democrat from Royal Oak, is a bill sponsor. She tweeted in August, quote, The last thing the state needs is defending a lawsuit against this unconstitutional tax on feminine hygiene products already struck down in many other states. And we don't have to. And this is something that I would imagine Attorney General Dana Nessel is really hoping the legislature takes care of because she supports the getting rid of the tampon tax and I would imagine doesn't really want to have to deal with the state being sued and having to to go through all of that. So there are quite a few women in Michigan that are hoping that the legislation is passed this upcoming year. And this is all part of the overall movement to help eliminate what's called period poverty, where women and period-having individuals can't afford products like pads and tampons every month. That 6% tax on those goods is only part of the fight. There's also the fact that pads and tampons are not covered by any government assistance programs, nor are other things that you might need while menstruating like toilet paper, soap, and other hygiene products. And the tax on these products is something that other states have gotten rid of and that other countries don't have. There are quite a few states that have gotten rid of the period tax or the tampon tax, and there are quite a few developed countries that don't have taxes on these personal hygiene products. And New Zealand is actually one of those countries. I know we've heard a lot about New Zealand because of how they've dealt with COVID, but they've also really been working to eliminate that so-called period poverty. 
That's right. They're sort of taking that issue and trying to address it wholesale. It's a really interesting story about what's going on there related to this in New Zealand. And uh, there's there's a Michigan connection to that story, too. Uh, Lynn Galadner is a longtime journalist here in Michigan. She's the owner and chief creative officer of Your People LLC and host of this podcast called Make Meaning, which is really, really interesting. She actually just had an official with New Zealand, the Minister for Women, Jan Tanetti, on that show to talk about what that country is doing for period poverty. But we also talk with Lynn for the podcast about a lot of how Michigan's attitudes toward this are different from other countries, are different from other states. Uh, and it was a really fantastic conversation. So we thought we'd bring it to you here on Mishmash. Uh, so here is our conversation with longtime journalist and communications pro Lynn Galadner. Lynn Galadner, welcome to Mishmash. Thanks so much for having me, Jake. So first off, tell us a bit about the Make Meaning podcast and what you're doing with that. It's a really cool concept. And I feel like, um, you know, during this pandemic, it's sort of taking on a new meaning. At least that's my sort of uh, assumption there. Yeah, thanks for asking. So I started the Make Meaning podcast in 2018, and it was sort of a continuation for what I've been writing about now for more than 20 years. I really, as a journalist and as an author, um, was fascinated by how people find meaning in the mundane. It was sort of the tagline that I used, as tritely as that may sound. But it was just sort of like, you know, what are we here to do? What's our purpose? You know, why why was I born? Why am I on the planet? All these really small questions that are easy to answer, you know. <laughs> um, but I started the podcast as sort of a way to get back to what has fascinated me and fed my curiosity. And, you know, initially I thought, oh, I'll use this podcast as a way to build business for my marketing company. Um, I don't know if it has, to be honest. It's just been sort of a fun endeavor. And it's been my, I guess, invitation to get curious, to ask people if I can probe a little bit into their lives and have great conversations, get some uh, review copies of really good books and interview the authors and things like that. But I will say, um, to get a little, you know, serious for a moment, I launched it on on July 9th, 2018, which was my father's 80th birthday. And uh, we were super close my whole life. And he had been diagnosed with a uh, terminal illness uh, the year before. And so we actually didn't even know if he'd make it to his 80th, which he did. Um, and so he was my first guest. And it was like, we've been talking, we would have lunch every week for years. Um, we've been talking my whole life, but um, I just wanted to make sure that I had all the stories and all the wisdom that I could get from him. And so I thought, who better to ask about meaning and purpose than my father? And so that was a really fun interview. And um, luckily, he was here for the one-year anniversary. And so I brought him back on the show. And that was when we had the um, anniversary of Normandy. And he was a big World War II history buff. And so um, I invited him back on the show. Um, unfortunately, we lost him just two months before the pandemic started. And so it's just so precious that I have those recorded interviews. And, um, you know, it was it was great because we were listening to it. Uh, we were all together for his 80th birthday when the show aired. And of course, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. But, um, you know, just to sort of have that wisdom and then use that as a jumping off point to speak with other amazing people has been a great ride. Can you give some examples of different topics that you have talked about and different like guests and just to give people a better idea of exactly what 
what they can expect if they tune into your podcast? Yeah. So, you know, I read a lot and I um, am always searching for interesting people. And so when I come across articles or phenomenon or topics that just fascinate me, I, I think, okay, well, who can I get to have on the show? So for example, I read something about Katie Yamasaki, who's a really well-known muralist who actually has Detroit roots. Um, her grandfather was the um, architect who designed the World Trade Centers. And Katie paints these amazing murals that um, really are, you know, I guess, expressions of community and advocating for change. And so I reached out to her and said, can I have you on the show? You know, what a cool storied past and um, using her art to speak out and to speak up on behalf of people and with people. So she was one. Um, my my first episode was my dad, but my second and third episodes were mentors of mine who I, you know, humbly asked if they'd come on the show, which was not a proven thing at the time, but um, they're pretty impressive people. So, you know, like Zingerman's co-founder, Paul Sack, is one of my close friends and has been a mentor for me for years. He was my second guest. And my third was Barbara Jones, um, who was an executive editor at Henry Holt. And she's been a mentor of mine for like 25 years and become a really good friend. And so they were really generous with their time because again, it was not a proven product or anything. Um, but you know, I've had others like people in uh, my PR and marketing career. Like I had Alex Kimbrough from Fox two, who's been a director there for decades. And he's just sort of like, passionate about um, his history at Cass Tech High School. And that was actually why I brought him on, not just because he was at Fox 2, but because he has something called a, a daily Cass Tech moment that he posts about on Facebook. And I'm like, talk to me about that. That that gives your life meaning. And so all of these people, it was sort of the why you do what you do. How did you get to be where you are? And what do you see as the purpose that's been the common thread through your life? And so I've had you know people that no one's ever heard of, but are so amazing. And then I've had people who are frankly quite famous. And I was just honored that they would come on the show. And I'm just, you know, I'm just shameless in asking, can I give it a try? Can you come? You know, you may not know me, but I'll definitely get you out there. And speaking of people that have come on your show, uh, the most recent episode uh, was really fascinating. You spoke with uh, New Zealand's Minister for Women, Jan Tanetti, about a lot of things. But one of those subjects was about period poverty. Uh, talk about that issue and why it's something that you really wanted to explore on the podcast. Yeah. You know what? This was really fascinating me. So New Zealand is, I mean, I've never been there. It's on my list, um, but it is just a really remarkable island nation. Um, you know, of course, a lot of us have heard how successful they've been in battling coronavirus over the past year. They've had 22 deaths and that's it. And as Jan Tanetti told me on the podcast, um, they know every single name. They know every single person as, as if they're personal friends. Um, but what I was really fascinated by was that the prime minister, um, Jacinda Ardern, she launched this whole effort um, toward eliminating period poverty. And she decided that she would um, do a pilot program last year, which this year in June is going to be nationwide, full-fledged. Um, but it was just to see if they could provide free period products to all the schools in the nation. And the reason that they were doing that was to level the playing field. And so I wanted to explore this and see, obviously, an island nation has you know, far less territory to cover than say the United States, but still it's a pretty ambitious goal for a nation of 5 million people. And so I was curious about what was behind this and, and how it came to be and then why this was such a focus for the government. So I reached out and um, Minister Tanetti was so generous with her time. It was really fun to interview her, which 
I hope you heard in the interview, but um, she she talked about how you know the the reason behind this really ties in with the way that they govern, which is by shared values. And one of the main purposes in Parliament there is to make New Zealand the best place to be a child, which I'll go into a little bit later. But regarding period poverty, what happens is. Um, Poor families don't have the the resources to afford products for um, you know monthly cycles, and so that can be embarrassing. It can be messy. It can be um, you know really shaming. And what that what that means for families is that the women and the girls, when they experience their cycle, they don't go to school or they don't go to work. Well, imagine what happens as that adds up over time. And as Minister Tanetti said, she had some students when she was a teacher and a principal who started their periods as young as six years old. And if they're missing a week every month of school from age six until they graduate, you know, do the math as to how much education they're missing. So they're clearly not on the same playing field as a student who's there every day. And, you know, even worse for adults who have to miss work and maybe they lose their job and their source of income and what happens to the family. And so by deciding that it's a government matter and they're going to provide this to schools so that everybody has access to the supplies, that's one small step toward leveling the playing field so that everybody has an equitable chance at success. I think it's brilliant. So this is something that is kind of starting to become a big issue in Michigan. It's a longstanding issue, um, but it's never really gained a lot of traction. But now it seems there's a little bit more people talking about it and it's um, sort of becoming heightened. And the legislature has talked about ending the so-called tampon tax um, and sort of treating these supplies as as we do with medication where it's not taxed. Um, compare where we're at with this conversation here in Michigan and in the United States compared to places like New Zealand. Well, I mean, how much time do we have? So, (laughs) I mean, the thing is that there's a fundamental perspective shift that needs to happen for this to be something that Americans take on. And there are, I have to say, there are so many um, period advocacy efforts across the country. They're often um, very grassroots, and sometimes they happen in high schools driven by teenage girls who are trying to help the community. Um, But there's, there's just a major need. And But this goes to something more fundamental. And so if I can go back to some things that Minister Tanetti said, you know, not only do they want New Zealand to be the best place to be a child, they have nearly half of their parliament um, as female leaders. And she said in the interview that you can tell the difference in the legislation. And what she means by that is that there are issues that um, affect women and girls that are coming to the forefront that are being noticed because there are more women in power. And we have such a different state of mind in the United States. We still have huge gender divides. We still are driven a lot by fear. So when I said earlier that, you know, in New Zealand, they're governing by shared values. If their goal is to have every, this be the best place that to be a child, then when you think about that, it, it accomplishes two goals. One, it keeps your children wanting to stay in your country because they've had such an amazing upbringing. They've had all their opportunities and they're not going to leave to find work elsewhere. So you, they stay. The second thing is if you take care of all of the problems that a young person faces when they're developing who they are, they don't have those problems when they grow up to become adults and you're not dealing with it as a nation. They're satisfied, they're whole, they're confident, they're complete and they're contributing. And that is not a perspective that we have here. 
here we have everything in a race and it's a competition and we're really driven by fear. And so there's this mentality in America, which is really tragic to me, that if somebody else has an opportunity, I lose out. And that's not even the truth because the reality is there's enough to go around. There always has been, there always will be. And so if we look from a, a perspective of abundance that we can do this and we can do that, then everybody benefits, but we're not there yet. We don't have that sense of generous spirit that I think um, this small island nation has. And speaking of that, I mean, I think a lot of the conversation about New Zealand here in America has been about their leadership as well. And you talked with Jan Tanetti about how well-represented women are in their government and in positions of power, uh, including their prime minister, as you mentioned. Um, You know, what do you think that that has meant for their ability to respond to crises? I mean, during the pandemic, that sort of thing. Uh, You know, um, I keep thinking about how here in Michigan, we also have women in the highest offices in in the state. I'm curious, you know, uh, what do you think that sort of means? You know, I don't know if there's uh, something that you could say definitively about how that changes the the attitude toward governing. But I'm curious what your, your own thoughts are about that. Yeah. You know, one thing that Minister Tanetti said to me in the interview is that we feel like we're a team of 5 million people. And so, you know, wearing a mask or keeping distance or even a lockdown that they they had several um, was taking one for the team. And there was a sense of collective responsibility and obligation that if, you know, one person didn't wear a mask and it was up to somebody else to say, hey, you got to put your mask on. And, and it really was this, this feeling of collectiveness, of community. Um, I don't think we have that. I, I think there are pockets of this and I, I think we should have it. Um, but it's this sense of, you know, and I, I see it, you know, with, with my teens whom I love and I think they're wonderful people, but, um, you know, it's sort of like, why is this my problem? You know, here's, here are my concerns. And that sort of pervades um, our country, not just at the grassroots level, but at the leadership level. And so we have generous leaders. You know, in Michigan, we have some amazing women in leadership and some amazing men as well. Um, But not enough. I feel like what is, you know, this is a personal opinion, but what is really dominating the airwaves nowadays, and it has been for a number of years, is, you know, vitriol and um, sort of inciting violence and um, attacking. And we don't have to do that. I mean, we're doing it for effect and to get grab attention, um, but it also is undermining leadership. And um, I think it has a really dangerous long-term effect. So we've been talking about sort of vitriol in politics, as well as women in politics. Let's combine the two, which is something that has been happening quite a bit in Michigan politics, particularly with the GOP and their responses to a lot of our female women in power who are Democrats. Uh, You know, just for one example, I guess, what was your response to the three witches comment made by uh, GOP leader Weiser? Yeah, I know. Um, you know, at first I was just sort of stunned. Like, did that really happen? Were those the words that were really used? And I'm such a word nerd as a writer that I'm like, witches burning at the stake? Really? Like, let's think, let's dissect this a little bit. Let's deconstruct. I mean, frankly, it was a sensational attention grab. It was not dignified in any way. Although I'm not surprised. We don't have a lot of dignity at the highest level in this country. Um, We can get back there, but it's going to take a lot. But it's also, to me, evidence of fear of female leadership. And I don't know Ron Weiser, so I can't speak personally about any of it. Um, But I do think that when we use a word like witches um, and, you know, they should be burned at the stake, there is something in that 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 feels like the person saying it is threatened. 
And if we wonder why Americans are violent, why we have mass shootings, um, why we had a huge insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th, why, you know, routine traffic stops turn into murder, um, it's because people in power incite violence with comments like that. And it's really dangerous. And, you know, I also think that women in power in America not only face scrutiny that leaders face, but they they face this double standard that we've had forever. And it's much harder to be a powerful woman because the same, you know, things that you would say if a man said it, that would be strong, that would be powerful, that would be admirable leadership. But, um, you know, you would be called names I probably can't say on the air and, um, you know, called a witch or, you know, suggested you should be burned at the stake or something for the same type of strength and power and um, decisiveness. And, you know, one thing that I really thought about a lot over the past sort of five years as we've seen the political landscape um, shift and, and change is that, you know, this country was founded on a rebellious nature, which has served us very well in a lot of ways. I mean, we've we've been powerful. We've come to the aid of, you know, nations and people who've needed it. We've, um, we've had great entrepreneurship. But this rebelliousness also has, you know, a really dangerous downside. And while it can be, you know, one of our, our strengths in forming this republic, it might also be our downfall. And so I think we have to really be aware of that. I'm going to make a valiant attempt to go full circle here. This is my brain working in real time, everybody. Uh, but, you know, what I'm thinking of as we're having this conversation kind of brings me back to what where we started and with your podcast. And it's about um, sort of the things that we choose to be meaningful in our lives or that we think are meaningful in our lives. Um, you know, I'm wondering if you think that there is sort of a, a, a problem in American society about um, you know, where leaders are sort of like telling us our, you know, the meaning is or, you know, where, uh, you know, where we choose to to concentrate that meaning. I mean, I, I, you know, as I look around all the time, I see so many people who are so consumed by what we were talking about, vitriol and and the things that divide us, things like that, and 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 spend all of their time in their emotional and mental energy on that. Whereas it seems like where we really make progress are when we sort of, you know, really define our shared values and sort of the positive things that we can put meaning in. Um, does, I'm, I'm hoping I'm making sense there, Lynn, but what do you think of that? You know, Jake, it's really interesting because I think um, we, we've lost sight of the fact that we have a choice as to what we focus on and surround ourselves with. And, um, you know, we have 24 seven news and social media and that can consume us, but it can also cloud what really matters and what we value. And, and each of us has a personal obligation to revisit that and to say, you know, is my life focused on what I want it to be focused on. So, you know, one of the things that I've done a lot in the pandemic is I've gotten back to my own writing. I write a lot of creative nonfiction and some poetry. And um, a lot of my creative nonfiction focuses on nature and um, relationships and sort of under uncovering the why, the purpose behind things. Um, so like I'm working on an essay about buying a prom dress with my daughter and sort of reminding me of when I went to buy a prom dress with my mom in the 1980s. And, you know, I don't write about all of these, you know, upending controversial things. Um, sometimes those topics find their way in, but I choose to write about taking a hike with my son when it's snowing or something like that. And I think that we can tune out all of the vitriol and the 24 seven constant commentary if we want to. Um, the thing that we're forgetting too, is that 
whatever dominates the headlines may not be what's dominating America. And we have to be able to filter that. You know, the first thing I read every morning when I wake up is the daily email that I get from the historian Heather Cox Richardson. And she puts the current political situation in historical context. And it's very helpful for me because I don't have that depth of history knowledge that she does as a historian. Um, it helps me to understand that what's happening today is not um, it's it's not new and it's not standing by itself. It has a whole history and there's all kinds of things that have happened and all kinds of people that have contributed to take us where we are. And it also makes me feel better because it's like, well, okay, there's a long history and it, it's not going to happen overnight, but it 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 can change. Things can change. And so I think that, you know, we have to sort of choose what we want to focus on, what we want our lives to be about, which is why I started this podcast in the first place is, you know, I don't care if millions of people listen or one person listens. I'm talking about how things are meaningful and full of purpose. And I am thrilled to fill my days with that. And so if it helps just one person love their work more or, um, change their focus and enjoy, you know, a tree in the yard more, that's success. And, and I think that's all we can do. You know, I said in the beginning that, um, how you find meaning in the mundane has been sort of driving my writing career and my curiosity. And at the end of the day, almost everybody on this planet is a very ordinary person and we have extraordinary moments, but most of us are never going to be famous and we're never going to shift the needle all that much. But if we can find little pockets of meaning, I think we've succeeded. Linga Laudner is a journalist here in Michigan. She is the owner and chief creative officer for Your People LLC. She's also the host of the amazing podcast, Make Meaning. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, that's all for Mishmash. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shayna Roth. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.